Well, it's good to see you again this morning and uh, thankful for just a wonderful spirit in the service. I, I love uh, every part of the worship service, but one of my favorites is, is the, the opportunity just to sing unto the Lord and to hear good singing. I told, the, I told the choir they sounded like angels and they all laughed like I had been there or something. But I'm sure it's the closest thing to angels I've heard on this side anyway. And I appreciate uh, their, uh, their hard work and Brother Mike's hard work. And, and, and Noel, I appreciate it so very much. And uh, pray for our choir. You know, some people, uh, you think of various ministries in our local church, and, and uh, we should pray for all of them. But sometimes the choir is forgotten about. They need prayer, too. Uh, God, they're using their voices for the Lord. It's a very important ministry and a part of our worship service. And so when you pray for our church, please keep the choir in mind. And I know they would appreciate it, and I believe the Lord will honor your prayers. All right, if you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. It's a minor prophet. It's tucked away there in the Old Testament. If you find the book of Matthew in the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament, and then go backwards about two books all right, you'll find the book of Matthew, then just start flipping backwards. Uh, you'll go through Zechariah, and you will pass Malachi, Zechariah, then Haggai will be there. And we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Haggai chapter 2. While you're turning there, we need to keep in mind, too, and uh, be praying for our brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, along the coast of uh, North Carolina and South Carolina and those in Virginia as well who have received a lot of, a, a lot of damage from Hurricane Florence. And we're thinking about them and, and trust God to meet their needs. And, and uh, you know, there are some. I have a friend in uh, Whiteville, North Carolina, near Lake Waccamaw, Brother Daniel, where he worked this summer over his probably about... Uh, about 30 miles inland from Wilmington, and uh, they didn't have any power. Limbs are down. Uh, the church did, did his house, and I don't believe the church had any power. So there's a lot of churches like that this morning that couldn't even have services and uh, because of the storm. But uh, we just need to be mindful of, of what our brethren are going through. In fact, uh, Lorraine's uh, parents were able to be here with us this morning to worship with us because they, they are in that area. They were in the line of the storm, and they came. And so it's good to have have you all here with us this morning. I want to just welcome you and, and other guests. Thank you for being here. Uh, we have been studying through this book the past couple Sunday mornings. We've been teaching, preaching through uh, this little book, the second smallest book here in the Old Testament. Uh, don't hear a lot of messages out of Haggai, but it is packed with encouraging truths uh, from, uh, from this time, uh, historical time, that God was using His children uh, let me just uh, give you a little bit of a historical context here. Uh, but first, why don't we go ahead and read verses 1 through 9. Haggai chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. We see here in verse 1, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, 
And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I have covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. With God's help this morning, I want to preach a message to you entitled, Don't Give Up. Let's pray. Father... We come before you because we know we can do nothing without you. And I claim total dependence upon your spirit now. Thank you for all those that have come this morning. I pray that their hearts would be tender and ready to receive your truth. And dear God, I pray that you would exalt Christ above all, even through this message. And we'll thank you for what you do, Lord, because all the glory goes to you. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Don't give up is, I believe, uh, the thrust of the message here from this uh, minor prophet, if you will, Haggai. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of the historical context here. The month is right around October in 520 B.C. Uh, It is probably the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, a a very important feast that the Jews celebrated, uh, where they would give thanks for the the last major harvest that they uh, would be reaping, and also to celebrate deliverance from Egypt, and to commemorate God's provisions during the wilderness journeys. It was a very important holiday. And that's the time frame that we have on this. Now, you'll remember, this is the second of four messages found in this little book. Haggai will give four messages total. We spent two messages preaching on his first message, and then we should be able to get this second message in just this morning. The first message was a tough message, was it not? It was tough preaching. I'm sure it was tough listening to, because that first message, quite frankly, was a message of rebuke. Haggai had to, had to bring the truth down hard on them. There's a group of people in the, uh, the post-exilic uh, uh, region there, the post-exilic time, excuse me, of, of them coming out of bondage. Bondage to the Babylonians. They had been freed to come back to rebuild the temple. And quite frankly, they fell asleep spiritually. They lost their focus. They lost their priorities. And God sent this prophet Haggai to come in to give them the Word of God. And that first message was... Wake up and arise and get to work. The foundation is laid, but you cannot leave it there. Get your priorities right. Get in order. And I'll tell you, praise be to God, they took the rebuke well. They received the rebuke and they said, he's right. The leaders said they, the, the leaders took the rebuke. The people took the rebuke and they obeyed the Lord. And God, we say, we saw that God brought a revival in their hearts. The Bible says their hearts were stirred. The Lord stirred their hearts. And that was last week's. So last week's was a message of rebuke and what to do. And then this message, the second message, is a message of encouragement. Aren't you thankful that when God does correct us 
or rebuke us. He follows up with encouragement. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, and I think we as parents need to take some notes there from the Lord. Because the Lord will chasten, He will correct, He will discipline. But God Almighty does not leave His children in that state. He will come alongside them and then encourage them. He will come alongside and help them. And that's exactly what he's going to do right here in this message. He's going to send Haggai. I know there were some hard words in that first message. But this message, I want you to encourage that, 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 those, these group of people, my children, the Israelites. They need some encouragement. I don't know if anybody here has heard the name of Wilma Rudolph. Anybody here heard that name? Okay, about a quarter of you. Wilma didn't get, uh, get much of a head start in life. About, with about, with polio, left her uh, leg uh, crooked and her foot twisted inward, so she had to wear leg braces. After seven years of painful therapy, she could walk without her braces. She's making improvements. At age 12, Wilma tried out for a girls' basketball team. She had, she had good aspirations there, but she didn't make it. Determined, she practiced uh, with a friend of hers and two other boys every single day playing basketball. And the next year, she made the team. When a college track coach saw her during a game, he talked her, he talked to her into letting him train her as a runner. Now, I don't know what the coach was thinking. Neither do we. Maybe she thought the same thing. Like, have you not seen my obvious handicap? But he didn't look at that. And he asked her, could he train her? Well, by the age of 14, Wilma uh, had outrun the fastest sprinters in the U.S. by the age of 14. In 1956, Wilma made the U.S. Olympic team, but showed, but she showed poorly in that competition. That bitter disappointment motivated her to work even harder for the 1960 Olympics in Rome. And there, Wilma Rudolph won three gold medals. The most a woman had ever won. You see, Wilma had a determination not to give up. And if there is anybody, any group of people on the face of this earth that should take the encouragement of never giving up, it should be God's people. We have every reason in the world not to give up in this life, in this journey, in our walk with Jesus Christ. And I believe we're going to see that message come from Haggai here to this group of people that, look, we know that it's been rough. We know that there were some things that you're going to be tough to swallow, but he is going to tell them not to give up. Tenacity is a pretty fair substitute for bravery. And the best form of tenacity I know is expressed in a Danish fur trapper's principle. The next mile is the only one a person really has to make. That was Eric Serviad in his book, Bits and Pieces. Tenacity, a a determination not to give up and, and knowing that we have a cause, a great cause. And I believe in this message that we're going to see three aspects where Haggai encouraged this group of people. Three aspects. Number one, I want us to see here in verse number three. I believe the first aspect he will have them uh, major upon and to dwell on is this fact. Don't dwell on the past. Look at verse three. 
he's going to ask some rhetorical questions here. And by the way, just as as I know, as we study the Bible and for the Bible student, we know that when God asks a question, it is never for information. God knows it all. But you'll see through the Word of God, God does ask questions. But the reason God asks questions is to teach us some things. That's why we as teachers, it's always good to ask questions. I didn't like that part when I had a teacher that did that in class, that liked to ask lots of questions. I didn't like that. Just teach, please. Don't ask questions. You can ask questions on the test. But you know, in reality, that is one of the best ways to teach. To see what your students are perceiving, see what they're grasping, see if they're really getting it. And God does that a lot. He'll ask us questions by His Spirit. He asks us questions in His Word to see if we're really getting it, to remind us. He knows what He's doing. He knows where we're at. And we see here that is the first message, don't dwell on the past. I like what Warren Wearsby said. He said, do not say, why were the former days better than these? You do not move ahead by constantly looking in a rearview mirror. He says the past is a rudder to guide, not an anchor to drag you. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past. I like what he says there. And that was an issue right here. Why was it an issue of looking in the past? Well, a couple reasons. Uh, we know, first of all, that the temple at this time, very obviously to everyone, to everyone, that it was not nearly, nearly as glorious as Solomon's temple. It was way, way off. It couldn't even be compared in the sense of its glory and, and the luxury that it held and the value that it had in its decor and its design. And its size. And that was heartbreaking to a certain group of people. And the certain group of people are the certain group of people that had actually seen themselves the temple. When it was standing before the Babylonians came in. And before it was all pushed into rubble. We know that there was a group of people that had seen it. And it broke their hearts not to to see that. Oh my. It's nothing like what we used to have. It's nothing like we what we experienced. It's no longer that way. And God is sending a message to these group of people, these, this older generation who had seen the temple. He's sending them a message and He's asking them the questions. And He's going to continue here in a second to encourage them. But we see, first of all, He's saying, look, do not dwell on the past. Because you know what it was happening? There were two things going on. The temple was not as glorious as Solomon's temple. And and you know what? On this side of glory, on this side, it wasn't going to be. Even Herod's temple, it was not even in comparison to Solomon's temple. It just did not compare. But there was another problem of discouragement. Not only did the older generation get discouraged, but get this. And this is so interesting because you see the same thing happening in our day. You know what else happened? The younger generation, I believe, got discouraged. Why? Because they resented the fact that the older generation wasn't happy as well. They resented the fact that, hey, why why can't we just be joyous and and thank God for what He's doing today? Why do we got to dwell on the way the things used to be? Or the, the glory days, if you will. And there was a discouragement coming from both groups of people. 
And God was going to meet them right where they were, and He had a solution for them. And by the way, let's always note, God always has the solutions. If we are willing to go to Him in faith and obedience and ask of Him and let Him work in our hearts, I am guarantee you, I guarantee you this morning, God has the solution and He has it for this crowd. I mean, you gotta imagine, you gotta, you gotta give it to these people that had seen the Solomon's Temple. I'm not trying to be hard on them. This older generation, do you know they estimate, and, and you could go across the board here as you research this, but do you know they estimate that the value of Solomon's Temple was at least $216 billion. That's right. $216 billion. When you add up all the gold that was overlaid, all the furniture inside the temple, when you add up all the silver and everything else you put together, it is two hundred and at least estimated at $216 billion. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you this temple right here that they're rebuilding... Is going to be nowhere near that. Not even close. The size, the value, but there's something interesting here. God is going to encourage them to say, but hey, that might be the case, but don't let it discourage you. Why does he say that? I believe it is this, and that's the second point of this morning's message. Not only don't look back. Don't let the, don't let the, uh, uh, don't dwell on the past. But secondly, he's saying, take courage. Take courage. Look at verses four and five. I love this. I've already read this, so we're not going to go through and necessarily read it all again. But notice he says three times, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. That word can also mean the idea of being brave or tenacious, ready to go forward with no fear of man. That's what God is telling this group here. He said, look, I love that first word there. You need to circle that if you make it a habit of circling your Bible there in verse number four. Yet. He says, look, you look back and you realize the comparison. It's not nearly as glorious. It doesn't look nearly as good. It's not nearly as flashy. But he says here, yet. That means, hey, don't worry about that. Don't dwell on that. But why? He says, be strong. Be strong to the leaders. Be strong to the group of people. He'll go on to say uh, that, uh, that they need to be strong in the Lord. W.T. Sherman made a quote like this when it comes to courage. He said, I would define true courage to be a perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to endure it. I agree with that. I agree with that definition because there is a sense of, hey, listen, there are times where we're just scared in life. We don't have all the answers. Things seem to be working against us or around us, and we don't, we don't know all the answers, okay? And there are situations that God will tell us to do to step out by faith, and we get intimidated. We become fearful, and we get scared. Let's just admit it. Anybody ever been scared in their Christian life? I think if we we're honest, we'd all raise our hands. Of course! And this is a group of people that were scared. They were like, hey, listen, I'm sure they had all kinds of thoughts going through their mind. Well, it's never going to be like it used to be. And those, those guys, oh, man, these, these, this older generation is never going to get on board. And, oh, man, the Samaritans, they're going to attack us. Oh, man, the Persians, they're going to come after us, these, these ones. And the, they're just going to get us and they get overcome with fear. But you know what God is saying? Be strong. Be strong. That's what God is saying here. 
He's also saying, fear not. He's saying, I am with you. He's saying, get to work. And I found it very interesting how he mentions, God mentions his covenant in verse 5. What is that referring to? And I just love this. Because it just shows, again, the mercy and grace of God. God, yes, God is judged. There's no doubt about it. That's what the, the name Daniel means. And we studied Daniel. God is judged. But he's also merciful. God is, God is love. We know that. Do you know uh, when he, he made this covenant with the children of Israel when he delivered them out of Egypt? What, did he, what was the covenant that he made with Egypt? It was this. I am with you. I am with you. My presence will be with you. It was a promise, and what's most interesting that we find in, in, in Exodus, I don't have time to go there, but if you go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, he made the promise again. He said this, he said, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. He's referencing the covenant that he made. Do you know when that covenant came in chapter 33? You know when it came, church? It came right after the debacle there with Aaron and worshiping the golden calf. After they had just truly fumbled the ball. <laughs> if, you, if I can use those terms here in football season. They had messed up big time. They had disappointed Moses. They had disappointed God. They had, and, and they just, boy, it was just a huge mess. But even after that, even after that, God says, look, I'm telling you right now, I will be with you. Keep going forward. Keep obeying my word. I am going to be with you. And boy, what a comfort that was indeed, I'm sure. It says God's spirit was with them. But I want to see this other word too that I, I just really think I should point out. Look at verse 5. He says here, that the Lord says, I am with you. But it's interesting how he puts this, uh, another word in here. He says, so my spirit remaineth among you. That idea of remaineth, we understand that in the New Testament as being like an abiding. And we do, as New Testament believers, have this Holy Spirit abiding in us. He's living there. He's taken residence when we got saved. That's where he is. The Holy Spirit. But you know, one of the things that uh, I believe here... The Lord can be in us, but you know, many times, like in this case, the Spirit is waiting for us. Listen, Brother Josh, I believe this with all my heart. I believe this, Brother Thomas, with all my heart. The Spirit of God is in us. And many times when He's telling us to take that step of faith, when He's telling us to obey where we know what we need to be doing, He's simply waiting on us to obey. He's waiting on us to take that step of faith, that step of obedience. And I believe that's what the Lord was saying to this crowd. Listen, I want to tell you, I know y'all are scared. I know you are. I made you. You are finite. You are frail. That's exactly where I made you. All right? But he's saying, listen to me. I'm with you. My spirit is among you. Fear not. Get to work. I am going to protect you. I have a covenant with you. I am with you. But yet those people had to make the first step in going and saying, Okay, Lord, I accept that by faith. God was not going to bless them unless they took that step of faith and, and overcame them with His Spirit. And that's exactly what God does with us today. The Holy Spirit is there for the New Testament believer, but He's always waiting for us to just yield. 
He's waiting for us to give Him control. Because many times we have control. That is what we see here. God is waiting and He's saying, Take courage! I'm going to do mighty things through you. You remember Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 9 when he had a great task for Joshua. He said, Have not I commanded thee? What did he say? Be strong and be of what? Good courage. He said, be strong and be of good courage. And then he said, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're facing here this morning. I have no idea. I made for some of you, but some of you don't. I could just, you, I could be, there could be things that no one knows about that you're facing. But can I tell you this morning, the same thing Haggai was telling this group of people, take courage. Take courage and know that God is with you if you know Him as Savior and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Trust Him to work on your behalf. Trust Him to give you the grace and the power that you need. Trust Him for that. He says that I am going to be with you. And that's something we all rejoice in this morning as we take courage. But then thirdly, he says here, not only do you need to stop dwelling on the past, and then do you need to take courage, but thirdly, he's saying, look ahead. Look ahead. And that's where we get there in verse 6 through 9. We read that passage. And, and this is where... Haggai is going to tell them, hey, don't look in the past. Know that I'm with you in the present. And know that there is coming a glorious day that we're all looking forward to. This is where we understand in New Testament, we see all along, look, look not those things which are uh, here on earth, but, but set your affections on things of where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. There's the element that God is always telling His children, look, you need to look forward to what I'm going to do. I've promised you I'm going to do this, and there needs to be an element of faith where we take God's promise and take Him at His word and be encouraged by looking to the future. And that's what He's going to do right here. He's going to tell Him to look ahead. And that will help them in not giving up. He's going to tell them to look to what Christ is going to do in setting up his kingdom. We need to look ahead this morning. We got a lot to look forward to, don't we? Christian, let me rephrase that. Christian, we have a lot to look forward to, don't we? Yes, we do. Be encouraged. It's it's okay to look forward to that day. It's okay to think about being there with all our loved ones for all eternity. It's okay to look forward to not having to spend eternity in, in, in damnation and eternal torment. It's okay to look forward to the fact that Jesus has paid it all and has shed His blood. It's okay to look forward here, even here on this earth of what God's going to do to them that love Him. And do way beyond that you can imagine. That's okay. And God encourages us to look forward to that. And being and knowing that the, the future is as bright as the wonderful promises of Almighty God. That'll help us not to give up. In 1832, he lost his job and was defeated for state legislature. In 1833, a year later, he failed in business. In 1835, his sweetheart died. A year later, 1836, 
he had a nervous breakdown. In 1843, he was defeated for nomination for Congress. In 1849, he was rejected for land officer. In 1854, he was defeated for U.S. Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for nomination for vice president. And in 1858, he was again defeated for U.S. Senate. And just two years later, he became the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. That was a man that had, yes, faced defeat. He had been defeated, but he did not give up. He didn't dwell on the failures in the past. He didn't dwell on that. He pressed toward the mark. He looked forward. And that's what Haggai is going to tell this group of people right here in verses 6 through 9. Notice with me, he says, first of all here, that uh, you need to look ahead because it's only going to be a little while. Notice that term there in verse number 9. Excuse me, verse number 6. It says, yet once it is a little while. Well, what does that mean? That simply means there's going to be one single movement for God to engage His judgment in coming to this earth in His second coming and setting up His kingdom. And of course, the temple being set up once again. That glorious temple that will be set up in the millennial time. It won't be but a moment and it will be there. And by the way, Christian, we need to think about that. Sometimes that gets past us, but when Jesus comes, it's only going to be the twinkling of an eye. Just a moment, it's all going to be over for here on earth for us as believers. We're gone right here. I was thinking about during that song, church. I can't remember which was. It might have been when the angels were singing. But I thought about, wouldn't it be great if the Lord came back during that song? It'd be great if the Lord comes back at any time, of course, but I just couldn't help but think, well, we're going to enter right into all the glories of God when He comes. And we're going to be with the angels, and we are going to sing. And people like Pastor Jennings are going to be, be singing with angelic voices. Amen. I'm sure my kids whisper under their breath, Oh, Daddy thinks he can sing. But I want to tell you, we need to remember that it's going to come like a flash. And then when he comes in the tribulation time, and we know this is talking about the context of the tribulation time. By the way, can I just say this real quick before moving on? You could also break this message up in an outline of the three temples. All right. He talks about Solomon's temple first. That's the first temple. Then he talks about Zerubbabel's temple. Zerubbabel, however you want to say it. It talks about that temple. And then he talks about the millennial temple. All right, so it's broke up in three temples there that he's referring to. And he's talking about the millennial temple here. Why? Because look what, look what the next verse says here. Or in verse 7. He says that I will shake all nations. There's a, there's a, a, a judgment coming to this earth one day. We call it the great tribulation. And he says here, and the desire of all nations shall come. I believe that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it is the Messiah. There are some that differ on that, but I'm, af- I'm afraid as I study that, I cannot get away from that being Jesus Christ. I believe that one day He is going to be desired by all nations, especially during that time. The whole world will look to Him for peace. How do I know that? Keep looking. And we know that uh, it, He will shake all nations, and we know that from Isaiah 13, 13, and we can go through Zechariah as well. He says in Isaiah 13, 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens. And the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day 
of his fierce anger. That is when Jesus comes back and he takes on the battlefield of this world and fights against all evil before he sets up his kingdom. That is when he will shake the nations. That is the desire of nations. Christ is coming. But you know something even in this, something that that uh, Solomon's temple could not glory in, speaking about Zerubbabel's temple. Here it's talking about the millennial temple. But you know something we need to remember when we're looking at this? And I thought it was great as I, as I saw this, as I studied it out. Do you know something that this temple has, the present-day temple of this passage, Zerubbabel's temple? You know something that it experienced that Solomon's temple did not? That was the Messiah would come. In a renovated temple by Herod, but who would come and be dedicated there in Jerusalem. Where he would come and, 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 and debate and prove the, 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 the religious teachers wrong and give them the, give them the truth. And, and that was, that was the Messiah that, that, that Solomon did not get to experience. But then one day the Messiah will come, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will fill that temple in the millennial kingdom. And oh, it will not even compare as the word of God says here. Look at verse nine. He says, the glory of this latter house, the millennial temple, shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. Do you see that? It will be greater in that future temple. You see where he's going here? Look forward. Look ahead. Wow. And then he closes here with something that I think is something that we'll look to, allowing to encourage our hearts this morning to look what he says here. After he gives the comparison in verse 9. Look at the last part of verse 9. It says this. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, there's coming a day where all the world will look to Jesus Christ for peace. Unfortunately, very unfortunately, that's not happening today. Not all the world is looking to Jesus. In fact, not very many. We hear of, of lots of testimonies, but in comparison to all the world, hey, there are people that are not looking in the right places for peace. But during this tribulation, oh, listen, the whole world will look to the place in Jerusalem where Jesus will fill that temple with His glory and His power and His rule. And all the world will look to Him. But I'm thankful that God gives us the opportunity even on days like this, September 16th, 2018, where we can look to the Lord Jesus for peace. We don't have to wait to the millennial rule. We can do it even right now. He is the Prince of Peace. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Christ Himself is our peace. Listen, I may be talking to someone this morning, and if you were honest, you would have to admit, Preacher, if I'm going to be honest, I don't have any peace. My life is a roller coaster ride that I just feel like it's chaotic. I don't have any peace. I'm up and down. I might have peace one second and I don't the next. And I just don't have a consistent, solid peace. What well, can I tell you? The solution to that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is peace. The Prince of Peace. And when we look to Him steadfastly and concentrate on Him as His children, we have peace. And when the person without Christ who's never believed in the Gospel, when they come to Christ for peace, to have forgiveness of sins, He gives peace. That is our Savior. He gives peace. 
Thank God for that. Oh, listen, let me tell you something. We need to not give up this morning. We need to be encouraged as this group of people would be building the temple back to where it was. And it's interesting that they fought this battle even with the foundation. You know, the same thing happened. I don't have time to go into all that. But the same thing actually happened when they started on the foundation. The older generation was like, oh, no. Solomon's was so much bigger. We put so much more money into that. Of course, the young crowd was shouting, glory, hallelujah, we're starting the, the foundations again. And there was that same battle. And then it got here. And, but God is dealing with it perfectly. Do you know what I, the gist of, I believe, if I had to bring one thing home from this message, it would be this. Listen, church, the glory is not in the gold. The glory is not in the gold. The glory is in the presence of Almighty God. And I don't care what your building looks like. I don't care what you look like. But if you have the presence of God, you have it all, friend. That's what I believe the prophet was teaching this group of people who got so caught up in the the outward decorations of their building and the luxury and the value of it. And it just doesn't look the same. Hey, listen, God is teaching us a lesson here. Do you have Jesus? Do Do you have Jesus? And then the next question is, does he have you? Do you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living out the life of Jesus Christ in this life? That's where the presence of God is. That's where the importance is. And that's where it really matters. Listen, when you have that, everything else comes into line. It's not saying it's all going to be hockey-dory, but it's saying you will have peace. And that's what I believe is being taught here. It was uh, in 1981. I was a year old. Bill Broadhurst. Anybody ever heard of him? He entered the Pepsi Challenge 10,000 meter race in Omaha. Surgery 10 years earlier for an aneurysm in the brain had left him paralyzed on his left side. But on that July morning, he stood with 1,200 other men and women at the starting line. The gun sounded. And the crowd surged ahead. Bill threw his stiff left leg forward and pivoted on it. Pop, pop, pop. Around the track, some of the runners completed the race in about 30 minutes. But two hours and 29 minutes later, Bill reached the finish line. A man approached from a small group of remaining bystanders. Though exhausted, Bill recognized him immediately from pictures in the newspaper. It was Bill Rogers, the famous marathon runner, who then draped his newly won medal around Bill's neck. Bill Broadhurst's finish was as glorious as that of the world's greatest. And I may be speaking to you, and we're all in these situations and seasons of life where, quite honestly, you feel like you're limping along in this Christian life. Perhaps you feel like you're just hobbling, you're doing your best just to get around the track. But can I tell you, if you're moving forward for Christ, that's all God asks. One step in front of the other with some determination to be filled with God in this life and to making Jesus Christ your all in all. Bill decided he would do that. And listen, I may be talking to some people. Maybe your life doesn't look as pretty as somebody else's. That doesn't make a hill of beans. 
does not matter. I don't care how we look. God looks down on us and says, do you love my son that I sent? Is he your all in all? Oh, child, that's all that matters. Don't dwell on your past. Take courage where you are now in life and look to what God is going to do as you yield yourself to Him on this earth and then look forward to the glories, the glories you will share with the Lord Jesus in many ways in the millennial reign and also for all eternity. Hey, that's us. That's where we find encouragement. Do not, Christian, do not give up. Let's pray.